Well, hey, as you make your way back to your seats, if you would, grab your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Grab a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. You can turn to page 963. We're into Matthew chapter 5. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Jacksonville Press. My name is Dustin. I get to be the pastor here. Uh, If you're just joining us, we're going through our Lent series right now on the Sermon on the Mount, looking at virtue and vice. Uh, Just as a reminder, a vice is a sinful pattern uh, that binds us, gives birth to other sins. And a virtue is a quality or character trait of Jesus Christ that he gives us as his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at vice, which is something we're commanded to stop doing, and then we're looking at beautiful virtues, which are things that we are called to become. Uh, Last week I suggested to you that there was pride and humility. Anybody remember what pride looked like? I had it in my hand. What was it? A stinky onion. Yeah, no matter how many layers you peel back, there's always another layer. And guess what? They all stink. But last week, I also suggested to you to think of humility as an orange, a beautiful, fragrant orange, a sweet fruit of our lives. Uh, I'm going to use the image of an orange again this morning. And really, my goal this morning is not to compare it to, you know, a vegetable. But really, my goal, and we'll see if I succeed, maybe you can tell me afterwards, is I want you to see this orange completely differently than you're looking at it right now. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at anger and meekness. So the, the vice is anger, sometimes called wrath. And the virtue, the character trait of Jesus Christ that you and I are called to become by the power of the Holy Spirit is meek. We're called to be meek. Anger, meekness, vice, virtue. One is a thing to stop doing. The other is a thing to become through the power of the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and let's look at how Jesus talks about anger and meekness. This is Matthew chapter 5. Let's look first at verse 21 through 22. This is Matthew chapter 5, 21. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Same page. Jesus went on, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Our last verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in the Beatitudes. Jesus declared in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open and your heart open as well as we pray. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would bless us with meekness. Lord, that we would release anger. Now, Lord, we would see it for the disease of the soul that it is. Lord, give us a holy hunger for the fruit of meekness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Citrus greening is an incurable disease. 
Anyone ever heard about citrus greening? It's an incurable disease that affects citrus fruit. Uh, the USDA on their website states that once a citrus tree is infected, there is no cure. Citrus greening, the pathogen is so feared, in 2005, the USDA classified it as a potential bioterrorism weapon because it can decimate an entire crop of fruit trees. Once an orange tree gets the disease, uh, once, uh, you know, an orange tree like that produces this, once it gets the disease, there is no cure. We have been studying this at least since 2005. The state of Florida has invested over $165 million trying to figure out how to save its orange crop, and guess what? It cannot. Uh, recently, I've started drinking orange juice for Lent. Turns out if you can't drink alcohol or anything sweet, there's not much left in the world besides coffee and water and orange juice. <laughs> And if you can't eat chocolate, orange juice starts to look a lot better. My favorite brand of orange juice has always been Florida's Natural. You ever seen it? It's in a carton. I remember it from childhood. You know, the sweetness of orange juice in the morning reminds me of my childhood with my dad for some reason. I remember looking at Florida's Natural. Well, I bought some the other day from Albertsons, and on the back of Florida's Natural Orange Juice, there's a giant disclaimer saying that actually now the fruit comes from Mexico and a little bit from Florida. Why? because there is an incurable disease of citrus greening, and it is decimating the orange trees in Florida. Since 2005, the citrus production in Florida has gone from 242 million boxes of oranges per year. So 242 million in 2005. Last year, how many boxes do you think Florida produced? From 242 million down to 44 million. A few days ago in the news on March 2nd, it was reported that the projected citrus production from the state of Florida is now 18 million, less than half of what it was last year. It is an incurable disease. You may have heard about it because it started over in Asia and it worked its way into Brazil and now it's decimated Florida and guess where it is now being seen? California. Do you see this orange a little differently now? Once an orange tree has it, it is literally, literally, not hyperbolically, it, once an orange tree is infected, it is literally good for nothing. It is literally good for nothing, except, of course, to be chopped up and thrown into a fire, lest it contaminate other trees. Friends, what I want you to see is the New Testament talks about sin and anger in just as sobering terms. Jesus says that anger is a disease of the soul. It can kill our faith. It can kill our relationships with others. And of course, it can even kill our faith. Uh, John the Baptist, in the page right before the Sermon on the Mount, in John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? thrown into the fire. Uh, talking about anger, uh, St. Paul writes this in the book of Galatians. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, fits of anger. And then Paul writes, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, fits of anger 
are deadly diseases to our soul. John the Baptist says, some trees, if they don't produce good fruit, they're good for nothing but thrown in the fire. If you need proof of that, just look at the orange trees in Florida. Or excuse me, where they used to be. Friends, I want to suggest to you that uh, Lent, uh, these weeks leading up to Easter, is a time for us to do our spiritual audit of ourselves. That's why, you know, the church has historically changed the colors. If you look around me, you'll know there's a lot of purple. That's a visual reminder that this is a season for you and I to do that spiritual audit, to look back and ask, is there pride in my heart? Is there anger in my heart? Uh, to use a, maybe a different metaphor, it's time to inspect the fruit trees of our lives. It's time to wonder if we plucked off the orange from the tree of our life, would there be citrus graining on it? Would there be evidence of the disease of anger? You know, as we self-examine and as I do that, I must ask the terrible question of myself. Is the disease of anger affecting the fruit of my life? Of course, I shouldn't just ask that of myself. I would need to ask whom? We need to ask my friends, my wife, my kids, our elders, our staff. Would anyone describe me as angry? And what effect is anger having on the people around me? I don't think I have to prove this to you. Fits of anger, being prone to being easily provoked, responding in wrath, that kind of behavior can ruin family relationships. Some of us have our childhoods ruined because we can remember what? Our parents being so angry and wrathful towards us. Anger can ruin work environments. Ever been in a place where the anger was just so thick you could cut it with a knife? Anger can, of course, ruin relationships. You know, the, all good theology starts in Genesis, right? Let's go back to one of the earliest. What's the first sin? The first sin came because people had a complicated relationship with food, you could say, <laughs> Right? Adam and Eve couldn't say no. That's why it's good to fast from food, because that's what makes it hard. But the second great sin in the Bible from those first few chapters is what? Anybody remember? It's about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel doesn't do anything against his brother, and yet Cain does what? He becomes angry at his brother. And before sin had ever given birth to murder... Right? Before that anger had grown into anything, God stops Cain literally in his tracks, and he asks him a question. God loves asking people questions. And what does he ask? Why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? Anger is not just a modern phenomenon. Anger is something that has been killing our relationships since literally the beginning of time. Uh, this is why I love uh, calling these things, yes, these are the seven deadly sins that we're going through, pride, anger, lust, gluttony, sloth, all that. Yes, they are the deadly sins, but I love what Jared Wilson called them. He called them the seven daily sins because we have to battle against anger ourselves. Some of us have already gotten angry this morning, and some of us will be angry by the end of the day. So what is anger? Let me just step back because some of us are saying, well, anger is probably a good thing sometimes. What is anger? Well, uh, you know, one a professor described anger uh, as a feeling or a reaction to either offense or injustice. So sometimes we can be, you know, angry and we can be righteous. Uh, you know, sometimes when we think about the good side of anger responding to injustice, it may be uh, good to think of it in terms of zeal, 
right? Have you heard that word zeal? So this is what uh, John chapter 2, when Jesus makes a whip and he turns over all the tables, you know? Remember that story? Jesus makes a whip and then he, you know, removes all the money traders from the temple. Remember that story? I love that because it's a great reminder whenever somebody says, what would Jesus do? You know, making a whip and turning over tables is in the realm of possibilities, (laughs) you know, just for the record. But that's an example of zeal, which is rooted in responding to justice, right? So anger can be a reaction. It's a feeling. It's a reaction to something going wrong. And Jesus can respond without sin. But there's another side of anger that I think I'm really talking about, which is sinful anger, which is rooted in pride. How dare you cut me off on the freeway? (laughs) Who do you think you are telling me that? How dare you inconvenience me? How dare you annoy me? I think if we look inward, a lot of times the reason we are reacting in anger is simply because someone's just getting in the way of what we want. It's really, you know, if you were to draw a tree, the fruit of anger is really rooted in the branch of pride. So how do we get rid of anger? I mean, what's, what's the answer? Uh, you know, as I've reflected on this, you know, my first answer is drink less coffee. <laughs> I know I'm going to drink a lot of coffee. I'm more angry. That's just giving me an opportunity to express my anger because, of course, we all know anger is bound up in our hearts. It's a sin issue. It's not simply just a behavioral issue. Uh, You know, how do we get rid of anger? You know, well, you know, nowadays you may be told to practice yoga or mindfulness, uh, but friends, that is not the cure of anger uh, any more than when the Florida farmers, you know, their answer to citrus green, you know what it is? What do you think their, their solution is? Ripping up the orange trees and growing what? Marijuana and hemp. Is that a cure to citrus greening or are you just replacing it with something different? You know, mindfulness, non-reactivity is about being detached from the world that annoys you. But the gospel provides you something totally differently. Instead of non-reactivity and mindfulness... What the gospel offers you is a power that does not come from you. It's a power given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it's a character trait of Jesus Christ called meekness, gentleness. And it's a powerful gift of the Holy Spirit that does not detach you from the wicked world. It actually empowers you to be a light to the wicked world. And so instead of cutting people out of our lives, we love our enemies. When someone slaps us on the cheek, we think about their soul and we show them the other and say, brother, there's another way. You see, what the gospel has the audacity to say is that our anger is not just a behavior problem. It's not just a learned behavior. It's a sin problem. And the problem for sin is that the only cure comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about anger and meekness in the life of Jesus. Jesus was slapped in the face. Uh, Jesus had his beard pulled out of his face, according to Isaiah. The first time Jesus preached, people tried to throw him off a cliff. How did he respond? First Peter says, he was pierced for our sins, but he left us an example that we should walk in his example of meekness. So what is the Christian answer to anger? It's meekness. Uh, Well, what I want you to see is that um, 
you know, in the, in, the, in the face of anger, right, if you think of that vice, I want you to replace that image of an angry face with the bloodied face of Jesus Christ. Think of meekness in his eyes. Uh, I, maybe I'll step back and say it this way. Um, my goal this morning is nothing less than to make you think about meekness totally differently for the rest of your life. You know, when, if I said, did anybody here want to be meek? Anybody want to be called meek and mild? Most of you would say, no, I don't want to be a pushover, right? Meek and mild, no way. And yet, what does Jesus say about those who are meek? Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, John Calvin, in his sermon on uh, this beatitude, said this, this teaching makes no sense to the worldly wise, but to believers... They have tasted of its truth and know these are not empty words. Think about it this way. Do you see this orange any differently? Now that you know that maybe in our lifetime there will be no orange trees left in Florida? Just a few weeks ago, Florida downgraded how sweet an orange has to be to sell it. Pretty amazing that we even have some left, isn't it? I want you to see meekness totally differently as precious and missing in our world. Uh, meekness is a life-changing character trait. And I want to suggest to you that it comes through the Holy Spirit. Right? So let's go to meekness. I'm going to give you some things to think about. Uh, the word meek right there in Greek is called praus. P-R-A-U-S. That's how you could phonetically spell it out. It could be translated in different ways in the Bible as meekness or lowliness or gentleness. Uh, you know, Thomas Aquinas, writing, I think, in the 1200s, called it gentleness that restrains us from anger. Gentleness that restrains you from anger. Calvin called it a mild and gentle disposition. Uh, uh, Reverend Derek Rishmaui, who uh, is a campus pastor at UC Irvine, I love this. He said, meekness is humility before God exercised towards our neighbors. I love that. Uh, meekness uh, is strength under control. That may be the easiest way for you to think about it. Meekness is not calling you to be weak. It does not mean that you are weak. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover and have no spine. What meekness is, is strength under control. Uh, think, about it, think about it this way. You know, last week, um, I asked where my horse people were at. Remember my horse people? I made some point about horses. I can't remember what it was last week. But if you could imagine a horse, all right? Imagine you're riding on a horse, okay? Imagine you're on a horse, okay? Let's just pause for that second. Imagine you're riding on a horse, okay? Who's stronger, you or the horse? Who's physically stronger? If you kicked the horse, on a scale of one to 10, how bad would it hurt, the horse? I don't know, like a three? If you play soccer, maybe a five? Okay, if any horse in this world kicks you, how much is it gonna hurt you? Like a 10. Who's stronger, you or the horse? The horse is obviously physically stronger, but yet horse people are not scared to ride a horse, why? Because it has strength, but it has it under control. To me, that's what it means to be meek. Men, it means that you are strong, but you've got it under control. You control yourself. You know, um, this may be a silly analogy, but 
you know, um, whenever there's like a young football coach, you know, and his team wins, you can always tell a green football coach. You know why? Because whenever they win, he's like running up and down the sidelines like he's never won a game in his entire life. He's basically doing backflips. When Nick Saban, you know, the winningest college football coach in all time, when he wins a game, what does he do? He's like, uh, uh, uh. he doesn't even show anything. Why? Because it's the immature person that's not in control of themselves. The mature person is the one in control of themselves. Meekness is not weakness. It's simply your strength under control. You know, the other thing that's interesting that you probably need to hear is that this is not simply a feminine trait, nor is it exclusively a masculine trait. Both men and women throughout the Bible are called to be meek because everyone has some measure of strength, but you and I are called to practice self-control. First uh, Peter 3, uh, Peter writes and he says, Women, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and meek spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. He say, he's saying, women, my goal is not to make you weak. It's so that you have strength, but it's under control. Now to men, we know that Moses, according to Numbers 12, was what? Now the man Moses was very meek more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. So Moses is meek. And of course, if you were to flip to Matthew chapter 11, some of you may even have these verses memorized. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, as in imitate me. Imitate me. Learn from me, Jesus says, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. And guess what the word lowly is? Prouse, meek. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus himself is meek. Jesus was not weak. Jesus had strength, but it was under control. Moses was meek. The godly woman is meek. It's strength, but it's under control. It's not easily provoked. It can look past offenses. And it knows that love covers a multitude of offenses. You know, the problem, the, here's the problem with meekness. This is a real problem. You can all see what meekness is. The real problem is that many of us don't want it because we think anger is a virtue. Uh, we'll talk about more, more about this over the next few weeks, but you're going to find by the end of our time that every classic Christian virtue is now seen as a vice. And every vice today is now seen as a virtue. So pride is no longer something bad. It's something great. Meekness is no longer something to attain. It's something to utterly avoid. And anger is how you make sure nobody does you wrong, buddy. You punch me, I will do what? Punch you twice as hard as you punched me. Right? Do you want to have your strength under control? You know, there's two great examples uh, to use. Uh, and I'm not going to try to push these real hard, but I think there's just, these are really fun examples. In Acts chapter 23, Paul, you know, the apostle Paul is arrested in Acts chapter 23 in Jerusalem. And uh, he's talking, and then the high priest commands somebody to go up to Paul and do what? You may remember the story? Smack Paul right in the face. Okay, how would you react if someone slapped you in the face? You know what Paul does? Paul says, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then everyone goes, Paul, that's the high priest. And then Paul has to do what? <laughs> Suck those words back in. He's like, I'm sorry, I should not have cursed God's anointed. 
Paul, upon, upon being struck in the cheek, does what you and I would do, right? React in anger. Jesus, when he's struck on the cheek, how does Jesus react the night he's betrayed? Well, many times he never responds when he's physically assaulted. But in John chapter 18, someone specifically strikes Jesus in the face. And what, how does Jesus respond? He says, if I said something wrong, what was it? And if I didn't say anything wrong, why did you strike me? He asked the question. He has strength, but it's under control. Uh, think about uh, Peter. Peter struggles with fits of anger, right? Because when Jesus is betrayed on that night in the garden, all the guards come and what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and he does what with the sword? He cuts off Malchus's ear. This poor guy gets his ear cut off, right? Well, not really poor. He's trying to arrest Jesus, but you get the point. You think Peter was aiming for his ear, by the way? What was Peter aiming for? Probably his head, right? And he missed and he got an ear. You know why he missed? Because he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. <laughs> and what does Jesus say to his fit of anger? What does Jesus say? Don't you know I could call down 12 legions of angels and wipe these guys out? Yet the scripture must be fulfilled. Jesus is the ultimate example of strength under control. Why should you want to be meek? Well, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What Jesus is promising in that is that if we are humble, if we embrace the kingdom of God, if we look to Jesus as our example and our savior, we will inherit the earth. You know, that's language for we will get to heaven. We will be with God when the kingdom comes and all of creation will be renewed. We'll be on the winning side. But what's really cool about Matthew 5, 5, which you may not have ever known, is that actually Jesus is just quoting Psalm 37, 11. Psalm 37, 11 says the exact same words. Jesus is just quoting the Old Testament. But both Psalm 37 and Matthew 5, 5 are saying we are meek because we know that ultimately the victory and the renewal of all things comes through Jesus Christ. So if somebody wrongs me or somebody offends me, I don't have to be the ultimate purveyor of justice in this world. Because sometimes instead of zealous, I just get sinfully angry. Think about how Jesus wants you to keep the end in mind. You will live with God forever. You'll live with God forever. You'll inherit the earth. One day Jesus will return and make all things new. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you and I will be there for that eternity. That should change the way that you see anger and meekness. Derek Rizmawi says, meekness is an eschatological virtue. It's a virtue we have not because we want to practice non-reactivity. It's a virtue we practice because we keep the eschaton, the end times, the return of Christ in mind. One day we'll inherit everything. Think about how Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12. He says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be greedy and haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Never repay evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, Christian, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we become meek? Well, I want you to first recognize anger. You know, this is a season of self-reflection. You know, so you may need to look inward. Um, when you get angry of the things that make you angry, is it really about injustice or is it just because people are getting in the way of what you want? And then as you sort of self-reflect on your anger, here's the key. You've got to desire meekness. You've got to want to have strength under control. And here's the big thing. You have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. In Luke 11, Jesus says, look, if you have a son and he asks you for food, you're not going to give him a serpent. If you're a good father, you'll give your kids what they ask for it. And Jesus says, and by the way, you guys are evil and you know how to do this. And then he says, how much more will your father in heaven give you good things to those who ask? How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The way you get meekness is you desire it and you ask for it. <laughs> ask and you will receive. Jesus is quoting Psalm 37. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. You know what also Psalm 37 says? Psalm 37, 4. Some of you have it memorized. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. If you delight yourself in Jesus Christ, he will give you meekness through the Holy Spirit if you ask for it. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and guess what? meekness. You could translate it as gentleness and self-control. Meekness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not something we develop. It is something that the Holy Spirit gives us. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You just have to want it. You just have to desire it and you have to ask for it. You have to understand what it is and then say, Holy Spirit, give me meekness. Make me a non-angry person. Give me the meekness of Christ. I got to finish up. Uh, friends, do you see this orange any differently? You know why you see this orange differently? It's because you are now aware that it is precious and it will be increasingly scarce. Our world is literally hostile to its existence. <laughs> which makes the mere fact that we have one in our presence, we have a healthy orange, all the much more sweet. Friends, what I want to suggest to you is that in our increasingly angry world, in our increasingly world full of anger, a non-angry, meek, strength under control heart, imbued with the meekness of Christ is that much more precious. That much more precious. Let me finish with the words of 
the Apostle James. I'd encourage you to close your eyes as I read this to you. Christian, hear the words of the Apostle James. This is James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask now that we would release the filthiness and the rampant wickedness in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we confess our fits of anger. Uh, Lord, I confess those and ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, would I not be deceived like Cain? Uh, Lord, would you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, meekness. Uh, Lord, we know that our world is hostile to meekness but we know who has the victory. We know the destiny of this world. We know you are coming again and we will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. Holy Spirit, would you give us the virtue of meekness and Lord, would it be the fruit of our lives? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.